0: Hi, and welcome to Business Ready, hosted by me, Penny Haslam. For this new series, we're moving away from our focus on Brexit to explore broader issues impacting the SME space right now. And in this mini-series for the London Business Hub, we'll help businesses to navigate the challenges and opportunities in the current business environment. In each of the episodes in this series... We feature SME business owners and experts to talk about topics that are really relevant in the SME space right now. And today we're tackling net zero. In November, 2021, the UK hosted the 26th UN Climate Change Conference or COP26 in Glasgow to discuss plans to work towards carbon neutrality and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So what role can SMEs play in the quest for net zero? And are there opportunities to be had too? To discuss all of this and more, I'm joined by Sid Porfola, founder and CEO of Concrete for Change, Fiona Edwards, head of sustainability at JPA Workspaces, and Fleur Record Smith founder of Hain House Wedding Venue, who just won the Sustainable Business Award at the Kent Wedding Awards. Congratulations, Fleur. Um, Fleur, let's start with you. Tell us about your business. It's a venue. It does weddings. You win awards. Is there much more to say?
1: Yes, there's a lot to say, starting with the fact that we have uh, we're in a very wasteful industry. So so, yes, I'm the founder of Hain House. We're a wedding venue based in Kent, and we committed to net zero in January of this year. Uh, and very much part of our sort of day-to-day work now is to sort of drive change in our industry. Um, so we're trying to sort of lead by example in a in an industry which is very dominated at the moment by waste. And what we're doing that by sort of sharing what we're doing and hope that we can encourage others in our industry and, and beyond to take action.
0: When you say it's a wasteful industry... Can you give some examples? I mean, that is just leftover cake or is there a bit more to it than that?
1: No, if only, no. So, you know, I think because we're at the venue and we're sort of the culmination of, you know, all the elements coming together on the day, we really see um, it's the the amount of, Of what we call it stuff you know um decorations will get used for one day um gifts that will be forgotten favors that will just be left behind and you know um one of my real um bear boxes is this we have couples have these um disposable flip-flops so they'll have flip-flops for the for the brides and for the for the girls to dance for one hour and then 70 pairs of flip-flops will go into the bin the next day so we're talking about you know it's just a, a way of consuming that's just that's just no longer sustainable. So there's a lot to be done.
0: OK, so a lot of landfill being created, um, a lot of journeys being made, that sort of thing. Yeah, those favours. Sugared almonds in net bags. I don't want them. I don't like them. Please don't give them to me. That's why I don't get invited to weddings. Okay, thank you, Fleur. And secondly, let's hear from Fiona Edwards, your head of sustainability at JPA Workspaces. What What is JPA Workspaces?
2: Well, JPA Workspaces we're a commercial furniture company, which means we basically fit out offices, hospitals, schools, educational establishments, anywhere that's not the home. We've been established since 1974. And we're also in an incredibly wasteful industry. Over 85% of office furniture purchased eventually goes to landfill, which is shocking. Um, Even more sort of upsetting really is the fact that commercial furniture is designed to last. So whilst it... um, it may look a bit sadder and get a bit more tired. The furniture that tends to go to landfill is actually still fit for task, and there are many, many organisations out there that would be, you know, very, very pleased to get that furniture and make use of it. Um, so, one of our primary drivers over the last ten years has been to try and help our clients eliminate furniture waste. We, we started off with that goal because it was, it was measurable, it was tangible. We also sort of knew what that meant. And the way we do that is we try and help them, first of all, buy better if they're they're buying new, um, buying with lengthy life cycles. We also help them maximize the furniture they already have by repairing it, refreshing it, retopping it, all incredibly unfashionable until about, Eighteen months ago, since COVID struck, and now that's that's what everybody wants to do, which is a good sign. Um, and other than that, we have community rehoming programs and furniture recycling programs to try and make sure that nothing goes to landfill. So that's our that's where we're coming from. We're trying to stop furniture landfill and waste.
0: And are you national, or where are you situated, and who do you serve?
2: We uh, we're based in St Albans in Hertfordshire, and we took the unusual step um, five or six years ago of committing to a local approach because we understood that by putting our resources where our client base is we can also be more efficient we can reduce our um, carbon emissions our fleet mileage etc and deliver a better service uh, for for less money so we're based in St Albans and our client base sort of goes out in a within an hour to an hour and a quarter radius of our So a little bit of North London, a little bit of Oxford Cambridge, a little bit of Hartsbeds Bucks, but they're all generally with an hour to an hour and a quarter so that we can get there at low cost with low fleet miles and make sure our resources are where our clients are. So uh, yeah, yeah, so just really that little legacy area around St Albans.
0: Sounds wonderfully franchisable, I have to say. And uh, I'd certainly welcome a JPA workspace in my region. So, um, okay, well, we're going from workspaces to buildings that may house work, working environments or not. Dr. Sid Porfolar, founder and CEO of Concrete for Change. That sounds like Uh, an oxymoron, Concrete for Change. So I'm intrigued. Sid, tell us more.
3: Uh, Hi, Penny. So uh, my name is Sid and I'm CEO of Concrete for Change, as you said. My background is civil engineering. Uh, So I'm a civil engineer working 22 years in this field, charter engineer from Institution of Civil Engineering and also, I've done my PhD 10 years ago. It was about developing an engineered that use composite, and I'm getting involved in decarbonizing of different industries. Regarding our company, the project we are working is about concrete. So basically, concrete is responsible for 8% of global emission right now. And if you look at the uh, trajectory of this industry, uh, by 2050, concrete will be responsible for about 40% of CO2 emission global-wise. In the best scenario, if concrete construction can implement every single plan they have for reduction of CO2, still concrete will be responsible for 31% of global emission.
0: And what, just briefly, what do you attribute that sort of increase to?
3: So about two years ago, when I was just looking at the numbers and figures, I was just thinking that every single industry has a kind of very clear net zero pass. For example, energy sector is renewable energy, nuclear power and hydrogen, but no net zero pass is available for construction. So I was just thinking by myself, how we can reduce the emission from concrete and relevant uh, industries like concrete manufacturing and also construction. So we work on sequestration of concrete, which uh, sequestration of CO2 in concrete, which basically means injecting CO2 inside the concrete and lock down that for always, which means uh, even after demolition of building, it won't be any leakage of CO2 from concrete. If you think about synthetic limestone it will be something like that
0: Fiona we're bandying a lot of terms around here climate change, CO2 net zero we like to think we know what we're talking about as small business owners but sometimes we don't really, you know it's a lot to grapple with isn't it <laughs> Um <laughs> Tell us what we mean by net zeros. Just set the scene for us.
2: Well, I'll try my best because, as you say, it's, it is complicated and I it, it's a minefield for people to navigate to know what all these terms mean. But as far as we understand it, everything comes down to carbon. It's all about carbon, use of carbon, saving carbon. So the big the big thing we have to do is save carbon. And the things that generate carbon tend to be gas, electricity, and, and fuel, vehicle fuels and other fuels of, of, of any kind of type. There are three types of carbon emissions. There's scope one emissions. So for us as a business, our scope one emissions would be boiler gas, um, vehicle fuel, that kind of thing. Quite easily measurable. You can, on, on your company fuel cards or by your gas bills, It's you can measure the carbon cost of scope one emissions through guessing, looking at the data that you've already got. Scope two is really focuses on electricity or on electricity to, for powering and cooling things, um, and that's a separate entity. And again, you can measure that quite happily through just electricity bills to get a benchmark of of where you are. And you might choose to measure that in kilowatt hours. It doesn't really matter what what the factor is you measure in, as long as you get a benchmark. And then the idea is that we we have to start operating more energy efficiently so for example by switching to renewables you would you would hope that you would improve your your scope uh, to emissions enormously and then the big one which the government have now started asking for in in large national tenders and i think i think large companies have over uh, uh, say a 50 million pound turnover have had to be declaring this for a while i'm not entirely sure but i think they have in scope three and scope three are emissions, are the scope one and two emissions of our entire supply chain. JPA's carbon footprint, if you like, our own gas and electricity, our own vehicle fuel, and then the gas and electricity and the vehicle fuel of all of our suppliers for everything they do. That then gives you your starting point to move towards net zero, which is basically driving that down through efficiencies, mainly in your supply chain, because that's where the big figure is going to be. The big figure is likely to be the sum total of all of your manufacturers. And so the impetus is going to be on us as a company to work with our manufacturers to help them, uh, you know, nudge them along and say, oh, can you get that lower? Can you get that lower? Or find new suppliers that ha- that, that are doing this better, you know, managing their emissions better. Then once you have this figure, your scope to emissions, basically plotting a course to get it to as close to net zero, as in zero, as possible. And uh, I'm not entirely sure that zero is possible. I think everybody's going to have something left over, but that can be dealt with by offsetting and 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 things like that. But it's this it's this Herculean task of you and your supply chain and working collaboratively to get those emissions down to as close to zero as you can.
0: Fleur, how are you seeing the changes in the world at the moment um, and the influence maybe of COP26 and the imminent importance of net zero? How is that all affecting SMEs? How, are you, What are you picking up on?
1: The reality is that, you know, more and more uh, businesses and public departments are putting into place, you know, procurement policies um, that align with their own net zero targets. Um, so, as a supplier, they'll be looking very closely at SMEs to see whether they sort of, whether they can align. That, for me, is, is the huge sort of immediate impact of the of net zero on SMEs. And, you know, if you think of, I think recently M&S announced they wanted to be net zero by 2040. Well, that means... Basically, that their whole supply chain will have to be, uh, you know, also have to be net zero. So, you know, there's lots of small businesses that might be supplying them. So, that, you know, the, there's a huge knock-on effect. And I also agree. My hope is is that there is some regulation for SMEs. I think I do also agree with Fiona. I think it's coming, and I think SMEs should prepare for that now, rather than so they can be ahead of the game, rather than then playing catch up. I do think so. There is a real will for SMEs to be more sustainable. Um, I think a lot of them want to do it, but I do think the reality is that a lot of SMEs don't necessarily know where to start and don't have the resources. You know, I think, uh, as we've just heard, Net Zero is very complex. Um, so SMEs lack you know, the funds or the time to tackle this. You know, Encouragement from across the supply chain will also be helpful.
0: So Sid, I'd love to know how things have changed with regard to net zero for you. I'm assuming that there's there's more of a marketplace for you, but just put it into context for us about how you came into being really with all of this.
3: In terms of legislation from June, I think it was from June that it was a regulation that every company working with public uh, sector have to kind of demonstrate their net zero plan. And from September, it was a legislation that every company that getting involved in plus five million pounds have to declare their carbon footprint, which significantly affect the construction sector, because now all of them, obviously, a lot of them are working with public sector. So they should have a net zero plan and should declare their carbon footprint. Uh, In terms of how it affects the construction, I was just speaking with some of this uh, tier one large company because they couldn't reduce their embodied carbon. They're losing a few contracts, like 50 million pounds in London. It was one of the examples they told me. Now they are sinking and all of this attention is shifting through the embodied carbon, through CO2 emission and how we can achieve that net zero scheme.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, thank you. Yeah, there's, there's pressures from all places to get that plan into place, get the net zero plan into place, um, be accountable for the number, um, be able to sort of show and demonstrate that you've perhaps reduced carbon emissions by a certain amount year on year, all really valuable. Um, Fiona, your business has addressed adapting to a net zero world by going local, and obviously the nature of your business is more sustainable, producing less carbon, because you're not making new stuff, are you? You're reselling old stuff.
2: Well, we, we've we always repaired, refreshed, reworked everything
0: that starts with art. There we our, go. That's the phrase, that. isn't it?
2: <laughs> we, we, we've done that it, with all the old stuff. We've, we've been doing this for years as part of our quality approach. It was always what we saw as you know giving a... a in the olden days, I say that loosely, um, once you had a client, they stayed with you for life. It, uh, and you, you made sure that you made sure that these relationships lasted by being of health and service and repairing and supplying casters and topping up and all of that kind of thing, which sort of went out the window when we got into the, the noughties a little bit, and especially after the, the banking crisis when, when everything started coming back down to price. But increasingly now, since COVID, the, the environmental penny seems to have dropped, and and we have clients coming to us saying, actually, we we think we we may not want to be buying new furniture anymore. We're actually actively looking for second life furniture, or can we make something out of the the furniture that we that we have? Uh, can we reconfigure it better? What what can we do with this? Which is, can we can we buy furniture that's more circular in nature, so it's going to last longer, and then can be made back into what it you know the same thing again and so yes other companies are starting to do that um but we're relatively small and we're incredibly flexible and we understand that we have to keep moving the debate on we have to keep uh pushing back the barriers and and doing something different so we 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 still repair recycle refresh retop we've now got little pilot schemes going where we're trying to make new furniture out of um out of redundant furniture, we've got this really exciting project on where a client has stripped out loads of two by four timber out of the partition walls and we're trying to rework that into a new reception counter, uh, which will be a flagship reception counter. I can't wait to see it. It's just so exciting. We're making the old storage units into mobile desks and we've just got all these plans going. So we've got those pilots going and it's it's creating the evidence that this kind of thing can be done, that it's it's possible because it's also not a lack of money it, 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 it's it's a lack of spending the money in the right place with the right products so we're we're there, there is money for this kind of thing we're also got pilot schemes going on with the community and and refresh programs and we're trying to organize local furniture swap shops and it, once it's it's the more you look the more you see and and we can keep developing our operation and, and and building um ad infinitum we, we've got lo- we're not stuck for ideas and I no, there's and there's so much that could be done it, it's really exciting and and if we can draw the there's there's the environmental side which is the you know let's reduce the carbon let let, let let's in, in everything that we do our operation our services our products you know it, that ties into clean air for you know for the clean air program and, and and better quality of life when we're rehoming furniture that, that that you know has an immediate community impact it also has a an economic impact all the the sdgs now are sort of all mingling in together and it's not just it's not just the sustainability aspect not what we're, what we're now finding is we're able to to have a much bigger impact um because we're looking outwards and we're trying to join the dots and and because we're operating locally we find we can make a bigger impact. Whereas if we were wanting to go globally or nationally in the UK, we wouldn't have the impact that we can have. Um, So no, we've got all kinds of pilots. I'm so excited. I can barely sit still. We've got all kinds of schemes and things that we're we're doing and and we're just going to keep moving our programme forwards. And I welcome welcome it if other people are um, able to replicate the same thing if national manufacturers were to work with local dealers they would get the most, best of both worlds and that that will lead into furniture take back schemes that the local dealers could um, you know they could manage they could deliver they could install they could take it back they could be the ones to get it back to the factory for recycling and reworking or reworking into new furniture there's there's we're right at the start of this and and, and in 5 years time we'll have all moved this on massively. and and i think this isn't a time necessarily to be competitive. This is the time to be collaborative. And come on, it'll get that message out there and say, look, we can do this. We can all make a difference because the planet is bigger than all of us, really. It's like there's no point competing with your neighbours down the road. In fact, you've knackered the planet in the meantime. It's, a, it's, a, it's a pointless.
0: Fleur, how do you begin conversations with brides and bridegrooms who have got the wedding of their dreams in mind and you want to edge them towards maybe doing things differently? Or do people come to you because they know that your wedding venue, Hain House, is adapted for a net zero environment? I'd, I'd
1: love to say that people are coming to us because of our sustainability credentials and they were... But I think the reality is it's... I think it's important to to couples. And if you think our... our our couples are young millennials, you know, they they care about climate change, they understand it, but I still think you know it's it's their special day. So I still think this kind of, the weddings are still going to be, you know, a bit of a folly where things that they're allowed to have some excess and things. So for one part of what one of our biggest challenges is really to, as you say, try to change those behaviours. So what we've what we've done, first of all, we're quite picky, for example, with now what we share on social media, obviously. We'll try to get um, the most sustainable suppliers on board. Uh, we'll only share things that, you know, sort of from sustainable suppliers, etc. But to sort of force the change, we, we can't really force it, obviously, but to give them little nudges. We've, we've for example, set up an, a scheme, which is called, we've, we've called it a wedding doesn't have to cost a year. And basically what we've done is we've identified 10 or 15 Swaps that couples can do, or things that they can choose for their wedding as opposed to you know another product or service that's more sustainable, and then we reward them so for example, it would be something like going paperless for your wedding invitations or choosing suppliers within a fifteen mile radius or choosing silk flowers, for example, perhaps um over fresh flowers, it, sadly, a lot of them end up going to waste. So, and every time they, they reach certain steps, they get, um, if they do three steps, we'll, we'll sponsor a um, quarter of an acre of rainforest. If they do five steps will an invitation to a local winery and a tour with a picnic. And then if they do... 10 steps, um, then they'll be in a drawer to have a lovely weekend away. So we're still at the stage where we're feeling we're having to incentivize them um, because obviously it's really important to us. And I think everyone, if they have the option of choosing, you know, a product or a service, that is sustainable over one that isn't. Of course they're going to go for that. So it's really about in a way sort of editing the choice or making it easier. So removing, there's always a perception that it's, if you go for the more sustainable option, it's going to be more expensive or you're going to be compromising you're going to have especially for weddings, they think oh it won't be stylish or so we're really trying to show show them that they don't have to compromise on style or it doesn't have to be more expensive um you know and hopefully one day they won't even have to ask themselves those questions anymore, you know well we will be really happy when there isn't the only the better options are available so um but yeah we still there's still a lot to be done to sort of drive behavioral change whether it's with the couples themselves and also you know in our own supply chain you know so it's very much at this stage a case of opening a conversation with with our suppliers and you're working with them you know we've organized recently an event for our suppliers locally in our industry to sort of tell them what we're doing um, and give them some ideas as to
0: what, what they can do. Fantastic. And a creative opportunity as well, by the sounds of things. Same with Fiona, all the pilot projects that they've got going on at JPA workspaces um, really being able to creatively solve problems uh, which thrills the small business owners in my experience it's a it's a really nice thing to get your teeth into and Sid how has your business adapted um, are you offering prospects incentives and are you having to deal with pricing problems because that's what customers are wanting, isn't it? They want easy choices and something that you know isn't going to be more expensive.
3: There is two elements in our business. Firstly, money, because construction is really conservative and is really critical about money. So basically, we add this incentive in our project. So the concrete we are building uh, needs less cement. As a result, a we have less emission. Uh, associated with production of cement and b the price of our concrete will be cheaper compared to normal concrete
0: are some customers in construction a bit late to the party with this sid are there some people on the front line going yes let's move this forward and other let's say more luddite um approaches and attitudes because construction is typically a sector that sticks to what it's done before yes
3: actually you're absolutely right because in construction there is a secondary problem if you look at or think about the lifespan of buildings we are speaking somewhere between 40 50 years for residential building and something like 100 years or 100 plus for infrastructure like a bridge for example so the industry is really conservative to stick to whatever they are sure is working however they don't have a clear plan for net zero but they are surprisingly positive and eager about these carbon reduction plans are available i think part of that is the pressure which is building up from government side and part of that is from all of this awareness is coming out of cop 26 out of different discussion coming from public sector and end user that would prefer building and uh, construction with less emissions, So they are really keen to reach to this point. At least uh, in my case, I've been really kind of welcomed by different parts of construction sector.
0: Great. Well, that's really encouraging to hear. And of course, like you said, the pressures from different places, regulatory and from supply chain inquiry, are going to be moving things which is all good isn't it it's all good but the future you know how optimistic are we about businesses adopting net zero goals and practices in 2022 and beyond of course um what do you what's your feeling let's come to fiona first your business is on it you've got you're the head of sustainability i mean you couldn't get much more forward looking and um, what about the suppliers that you talk to how excited are they about adopting net zero uh, goals and practices
2: i'm not entirely sure anybody's excited um but everybody uh, interestingly we we're, we're a small company we don't do uh any real government tenders but we we did do one in october and i haven't seen one for a couple of years and i had no idea that the, que- the, the questions that government has been asking of, of tenderers and they're they're on the ball. I mean, they they are asking for all sorts of all sorts of information relating to carbon calculations and how people are going to reduce their all their scope emissions. And so, for most of our manufacturers who have been doing government tenders for the last couple of years, they understand that unless they the wheels are turning, they won't get the business. It's 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 not um it's not a choice uh, it, unless they want to be able to get a place on those government frameworks. It it that they have to do it and it's only a matter of time before that filters down to small companies like us and we're seeing all the time we've had three companies come to us in the last month who, who said we don't ever want to buy any new furniture ever again we, we want all second life um because of it, it's the second life furniture is less carbon you know to sort of redistribute it than it would be to remake it so i don't think any of us see this is optional. This is something that's coming. It's going to be part of day-to-day life. And if if companies that choose to stand still and just sort of suck it and see for a while, I, I think they run, run the risk of, of um, losing business massively because it's it's not going to be a choice.
0: Well, I was going to say, if if you're not getting excited about net zero goals and practices in 2022, then maybe businesses are going to get excited about the opportunities. Or oh, the doors that open as a result of getting that sustainability credentials out there and the emissions and the the measuring and the calculating.
2: Interestingly for us, I mean we've been, I, I take this term say so loosely, but banging on about sustainability for a number of years.
0: And <laughs> it is your job, I mean, you Fiona. Know,
2: we, <laughs> you know, we have a few clients, we have a few clients and uh who are very passionate about it and absolutely understand the message, but in the last 18 months we're attracting we're having conversations with clients we never thought as an SME we would ever be able to get their ear or sit down and have a conversation because we're talking the right language we we understand and we've got the evidence to support what we're doing and that's one of the difficult things is everybody says they do everything and it all because the whole green world is such a mess it all sounds very convincing and like oh yeah that's that's great and but we have the evidence to support what we're doing we can prove it and we we're excited because it it is opening new doors for us as i say we i've never thought that we get access to some of the blue chip companies that we're getting access to because we have the right message um so the larger manufacturers possibly not as much because they've been doing it anyway but for we're we're furniture dealers so we're a bit like a personal shopper but for furniture we can go here there everywhere and put together the best collection for our client, which is you know suitable for all of their needs and under a lovely sustainable umbrella so for us it's it's definitely um opening up opportunities which is so exciting
0: and what's appealing about all of your businesses is that they offer really practical immediate practical solutions or salving guilt or challenge you know changing the, the, the outlook for other businesses um, and customers in your case, Fleur. Um, Fleur, what advice would you give to small businesses or how would you rally them to, to change their ways or to think about net zero a little differently? Um, I think I'd
1: start by saying, first of all, don't think that because you're small that you can't make a difference. I mean, we touched on it earlier on, but 99% of the UK businesses are SMEs. So, you know, the collective impact if we all took action um as Fiona said earlier is huge it is daunting for small business owners even getting their head around the concept of net zero I think accepting where you are now you know and accepting that nobody's perfect you know even the businesses who have uh, you know heads of sustainability or you know the bigger corporations who have consultants on board etc even they're even still struggling to get their heads around scope 3 and other emissions so I think accept where you are now and that you have to start somewhere. Do get started now. You know, there's a lot to do. Um, So, you know, it's a case of, very much a case of of planning.
3: That's the only way we have, because the climate crisis is a real issue. And if we cannot tackle this problem, I think it's, as you said, is a full stop. So I would prefer to be really positive and believe that we can achieve our target for uh, kind of uh, limit the global warming to 1.5 and or 2 degrees, not more than that, and we'll achieve, we will achieve this. I, I would like to believe that we will achieve this target. And what I can see these days uh, from different SME and from different companies, everyone is thinking about that and everyone trying to get involved, just giving you a very small example. As an SME, I was just passing through a construction project It was uh, for a local business, which we don't, we're not related to each other. So I don't know them. I just, I didn't know them, of course, in that point. I went through the site. It was a site from Pioneer Design and Build. And I just had a very short discussion with their managing director and uh, their site manager. It was Carl Parker. And I just asking them how they can reduce their emission in construction and how we can help them. And we reached a very good achievement, like they really like to use our technology. They have been keen about recycling, about circular model, uh, circular economies. And what I can see, people are really cautious about this climate crisis. And I would prefer to believe that we will achieve this target. Otherwise, I don't think it will be us in the same shape that we are right now here.
2: I'd like to think we're a resourceful lot. We're, We're a lazy lot. And, but we're also a very resourceful lot. When we, the heads were down, we pulled something out of the bag. It's not that we're, we're not intelligent. We, we have the brains. We have the capacity. We just have to get everybody. I, I think I prefer to go glass half full on this one because glass half empty is not much of a future, is it? Really? So I think I'm gonna. Yeah. i will positive, like Sid. But I, I, you know, we have it. We have it in us. We, 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 we just need the will, and we have to. We have to collaborate. We have to work differently together. We have to think out of the boxes and and look outwards to see how we're impacting on our, who we could bring into our c- circles and to try and, you know, make make more make better impacts and uh, make more positive contribution. And I think I think we can do it. I I but we, got, we can't afford to break the government. We, we, we've got to start doing it. And if they bring in regulation to support it, that's great. But we, we've got to start, you know, taking it on ourselves, I think, as individuals, as companies, as SMEs, as business owners, to just get started.
0: Glass half full. Fleur Smith. is it champagne flute half full for you as well? I'm very positive.
1: Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure um, it will, we have to do it. So I think we're going to have to put our minds to it. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities as well for business. So I think, you know, um, I am positive. Um, and it's great, you know, I think people banging on about it, like Yoda says, like we do as well, that's that's what's gonna drive it as well. So um yeah, I I you know, I I think I look forward to the day really where actually we're not talking about this anymore and it becomes so embedded in our day to day business that we think back, Oh gosh, they used to do it this way, you know, it becomes becomes the norm, you know, that we're not thinking about it. So I'm positive, but there's a long road ahead for sure. If the, if the news started
2: reporting positive things about this, we'd all, we'd all, you know, they report it in a different way as opposed to doom and gloom. It would be we've done this. We'd all, we all need to go about this with that glass half full kind of air, as opposed to oh, I don't know if we can do this. It has to be with that sort of positive spirit because people like energy and enthusiasm. And they'll, they'll follow. They'll get on board. They'll, they'll, they'll go with you. And we need the media to sort of start getting on board, not with a, oh, no, another COP26 didn't quite do what we needed to do. We need to, you know, get past that and go, right, what can we do? What have we done? Here's the, here's where we are. And just report it differently. Be a more upbeat about it because we like to get involved we like to see what we can do we like to see the positives and that we just need to encourage each other as well i think
0: that is why we've had a podcast on it which is why i'm so delighted that all three of you have been so passionate and wonderful and hopefully inspired many of the listeners to go out there get their carbon footprint business calculators at the ready look at their emissions and start being part of the solution so Thank you all very much. It's been fantastic to get to know you and the work that you do. Sid Porfolar, Fiona Edwards and Fleur Record-Smith, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very And don't forget to subscribe to the Business Ready Podcast for the London Business Hub on your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could leave a review. It really makes the podcast easier for others to find. And if you want a little extra help with your business, The London Business Hub is here to help. Whether you're just starting out or looking to grow, you can access a range of free support programmes, expert advice and business workshops. Go to businesshub.london. And we'll be back next time with an episode around the digital world with more SME owners and experts. I'm Penny Haslam. Thanks for listening.